Rainmaker FM. Copy Blogger FM is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those of you who are selling physical products, digital downloads, or membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why more than 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. You can check it out by going to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. Hey there, good to see you again. Welcome back to Copyblogger FM, the content marketing podcast. Copyblogger FM is about emerging content marketing trends, interesting disasters, and enduring best practices, along with the occasional rant. My name is Sonia Simone. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Rainmaker Digital, and I like to hang out with the folks who do the heavy lifting over on the Copyblogger blog. You can always get extra links, resources, and the complete show archive by pointing your browser to copyblogger.fm. So today I thought it would be interesting to talk about positivity and negativity in your content and in your copywriting. You know, there's sort of two schools of thought. One is a traditional copywriting school of thought that you talk a lot about customer problems and customer difficulties. That's a very traditional advertising point of view. And that's countered by people who think that it's better to just always be very positive, always make people feel really good, and that that's the best way to make good things happen is to be positive. And what I'm going to talk about today is that I think we need both of those in our content and our copywriting. They each have a place, and I'm going to talk about how I see them going together. So the idea that kind of kicked off my thoughts about this was listening to a podcast interview on Tim Ferriss's podcast with my friend, Susan Garrett. So Susan is, if you didn't happen to catch the podcast, I would really recommend it. She's a dog trainer, but beyond that, she's one of those people, if you've ever known someone in your life who's not just good at what they do but is insanely, unbelievably good at what they do, that's Susan with positive reinforcement uh, and dog training. I am fortunate enough that Susan is a friend of mine. She and I have talked many times about business and about dogs and about negativity and positivity. Um, And so it was a real pleasure to listen to this podcast One of the interesting things about Susan is that she is an absolute powerhouse business owner. So she runs a dog training program online, specifically intended for um, agility trainers, people who are doing dog agility sport. And she's as good at business and marketing as she is at dog training. And in fact, the same ideas inform both of those things. And one of the things I found interesting in her interview is that she said when she gets invited to speak on marketing, she gives the same talk and she removes the word dog and she inserts the word business because it's really, you know, it's all the same suit. So some time back before I met Susan, 
Um, but I was interested in this whole idea of positive reinforcement and training dogs or cats or horses or rats or whatever you might, you might want to think of to do the things that we want them to do uh, using positive reinforcement. And I wrote a post on that called Cookie Content, and it was about using positive reinforcement in your content marketing to get your audience to do more of the things you would like them to do. You are shaping their behavior by creating a lot of reward systems for customers doing the things that you that you like them to do. If they open an email, they get a reward, and that reward is the content. You know, you structure your content so that when people click on your links, when people open your email, when people read your material, they're glad they did. You know, that they're not being punished, quote unquote, with a lot of spammy pitches or, you know, you sending them off to weird websites where they don't have a good experience, but they're always rewarded with high quality content, lots of good things. And that just gets them much more in the mood to click through and buy what you have to offer. So I was thinking about this concept. I call it cookie content, where your content is like the cookie that we give, you know, our our canine friends to reward a good behavior. And I was thinking about this in the context of something called negativity bias. So negativity bias is well demonstrated. And that is, I'm sure anybody listening to this has had this experience. We remember those negative experiences so much more vividly than the positive ones. So I have had a lot of really kind, nice comments over the years on my content, my email content, blog content, and podcast content. I've been really, really fortunate, and so many people have said kind things. And yet the comment that I could read back to you word for word is someone who unsubscribed from an email list of mine early on and just left a um, a critical remark. It wasn't like a brutally critical remark. It was just a kind of offhand crappy thing to say. And I still remember it word for word. That's negativity bias. And it's just a thing. We all have it. It's normal. It was evolutionarily useful in keeping us from dying of dangerous things. So on the one hand, I have a whole field of behaviorists and people like Susan who trained in positive reinforcement, and they have a lot of science to back them up that says that positive reinforcement is the way to create change and that punishment will tend to create unanticipated side effects. The most common one being a deterioration of the relationship between the person handing out the punishment and the individual, right? We all know that. If somebody's really harsh and strict with us, we don't like that person. We don't want to be in a relationship with that person, and we will move away from them when we get the chance. So that's one side of the house, negativity bias is on the other side of the house, equally well supported by the evidence and supported by a long copywriting tradition of copywriting formulas that include negativity as part of that formula. So I'm going to take a simple, simple persuasive structure. It's called problem, agitate, solve. 
And I'm going to see if we can't unpack that a little bit and figure out how to reconcile these two ideas. One, that the only real way to motivate lasting change is through positive reinforcement. And two, that we all have a negativity bias and that we notice negative content and negative material much more vividly than we do positive. So before I jump into that, I thought I would just talk for a moment about this whole idea about copywriting formulas or headline formulas. I like to think of them as persuasive structures. So if you are writing a copywriting formula or a headline formula, anything like that, and you're really, it's warping what you believe, you know, it's actually changing or distorting your core beliefs, then I think you've probably chosen a structure that's not a good fit for you. But I do believe in the role of these kinds of structures for creating more effective communication. And that, for me, is what makes that core difference between uh, a marketing formula that feels really hypey and really manipulative and creepy and an advertising formula or a marketing formula that feels natural and that feels respectful and that respects the intelligence of the audience. Um, there's nothing worse for me than, you know, seeing some marketing or advertising content that just seems to assume I'm an idiot. I just, it makes me angry and it really makes me turn away from that business. And of course, it's so easy for us to turn away from marketing that insults us. You know, it's, it's, it's amazingly easy for us to just click somewhere else when we're on the web. So we have to create respectful communication that, you know, that honors the, the values of our audience because they'll go away if we don't. So let's look at this simple copywriting formula. It's very old. And one of the things that you notice if you look at different kinds of copy, because there are, you know, many, there are dozens and dozens of established copywriting formulas. Just about all of them include this as kind of a spine, and then they just articulate maybe different steps a little more in depth, or they break it down into sub-steps. So problem, agitate, solve starts with the problem. And in fact, in my experience, if you don't start with the problem for your project, you will never get traction. If you don't understand what problem you're trying to solve for your audience, your business is not going to get customers, your service is not going to get clients, your blog is not going to get readers, you know, your podcast will not get listeners. You have to solve problems for your audience. That is the currency that you are buying their attention with, is solving problems they care about. So kind of pre-work before you do any kind of copywriting formula is understand what problem does your business solve or your project? What problem is it solving for the audience? And is that a problem your audience cares about? So problem agitate solve starts with a problem and maybe it's a problem. So let's say for this podcast, it might be something along the lines of, um, I need to revive a blog for my new copywriting client. Uh, the blog is not getting good engagement and it doesn't drive any sales. That's the problem that you might be 
hoping to solve by coming to the Copyblogger FM podcast. So if I had something to sell you today, and I don't have something to sell you today, I might have something to sell you tomorrow, I would agitate that problem. So I would look at that fact that you've got a blog for your client and it doesn't have it doesn't have much traffic, it has poor engagement, and it's really not driving any kind of sales at all. And I would agitate it. In other words, I would put my thumb on that sore spot and lean on it a little bit and really try and figure out what exactly is the issue here. So a blog that never converts anyone to a customer is a waste of everyone's time and resources. And you, as the copywriter, are the person who's in charge of waking this sucker up. But you can't get buy-in from your client because they're already a little bit jaded about whether this is ever going to work anyway. So you have all of the responsibility for fixing it, but you don't have the resources for getting it done. And ask me how many times I have been in that situation. When I was in the corporate world, it was practically, you know, what you did 40 hours a week was try and solve problems that you had the responsibility for, but you didn't have the resources to fix them. That's a problem that I understand because I've been through it. So when I talked about unpacking some of those details of the problem and unpacking part of what made it frustrating, that's agitate. That's the middle part of this mini formula. When I talk about if you don't get this right for your client, then you're not, you know, your contract's not getting renewed. You have a limited amount of time to make a difference. Um, and if the client doesn't see results, he's going to move on. And, you know, this is your living, your livelihood. You need to make this work for your client. You need to make it work for yourself. You need to understand how to get this task done. All of that is agitation. And if you've ever been in this situation, it probably makes you uncomfortable to listen to me talking about it. It brings back negative emotions. It trips your negativity bias tripwire. So in my experience, there are a couple of approaches you can take to the problem and agitation steps of your persuasive structure that will make it feel less like you're punishing someone or you're just a drag, you know, you're just not somebody they want to be around, and more like somebody who's going to help them out. And we'll talk about the most important one at the end, which is, of course, the last letter of the formula is solve. You're going to offer a solution to this horrible, painful, uncomfortable mess. But before we get there, I want to talk about specifically how we address problems and agitation. And that is from a place of empathy. We ran a blog post on Copyblogger some time back about the greatest, you know, the most effective email header of all time for commercial email is you are not alone. And I slightly regret running it because now I feel like I can't ever use it, you know, because we really popularized it. But that idea that anything painful is easier to bear when you aren't alone, that's just part of the human condition. And if you speak to a problem with empathy, especially if you have been through it yourself, you can bring the problem up and then you can agitate it 
without it becoming sort of abusive. So it's not going to be particularly comfortable. But on the other hand, the problem that they're living with is not comfortable. It doesn't feel good to be stuck with an intractable problem that you don't know how to solve. And so problem agitate solve works in my experience when you can really genuinely empathize with this thorny problem and you have a solution that actually works. And I'm sure you can imagine, you know, your own versions of problem and agitate for all different kinds of topics. You know, um, the fitness industry obviously is full of them. Um, you know, weight loss, parenting, financial advice, uh, you know, cooking advice. I mean, pretty much any topic is going to have some thorny problems And those thorny problems are what you talk about in your copy. And it actually puts people in um, an arousal state. It puts them in a state where their heart is beating a little bit faster and they've got a little bit of some stress chemicals running through their bloodstream. And those changes cause us to pay more attention to what's going on. Again, just a very ancient primal response. Now, you also don't want to just like swamp people. You don't want people to be in despair after they're reading your content or listening to your content. If they're so overloaded with grief that they can't move, then they can't take action. So, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to press that hard. You want to get them so they're awake and they're paying attention and maybe they're a little bit snapped out of some denial. You know, we all have denial about those thorny problems. It's so much easier to not think about them than it is to take action. So you want enough to wake them up, enough to snap them out of denial and get their heart racing a little bit, not enough to overwhelm them or brutalize them. But no matter how hard or not hard you push, of course, if you left people here, then you would be associating yourself with pain and that would not be smart. That would not be a good move on your part. And this is where solve comes in. This is where your solution comes in. So another interesting observation from our friends, the cognitive scientists, is that the note that you end an experience on is the the note that you remember. So if you have a vacation and it rains every day for two weeks and you don't like the rain, And then the very last day, it's sunny and it's beautiful and you go with your family uh, and you take a picnic to the beach and you have this amazing peak, beautiful moment with your family. You will always remember that vacation as a great vacation, even though you didn't enjoy most of it. That's why restaurants serve dessert at the end of the meal. It's the most memorable part. And if they can give you a really fantastic experience for dessert, you will like that restaurant and you will go back. So your solution is your dessert to your content. It is the positive, empowering experience at the end of the whole thing. So you poke them a little bit to wake them up and get them out of denial about the problem. And then you offer a solution that empowers them and makes them feel better. And of course, that contrast is part of what makes it effective. 
So they felt kind of a little bit crummy when you were talking about the problem. And then the solution gives them a feeling of relief, gives them a feeling that the problem is not intractable after all. It's actually something that they could solve and that they would feel amazing when they solved it. Because feeling free from pain feels totally amazing after we've been in pain. So a couple of specific recommendations for your solution. Number one, first and foremost, most important of all, is that the solution must be real. So I need you to offer a solution that will actually help people. If the solution is fake or, you know, you faked the data or it only works for one person in a thousand, it's unethical and horrible and and you're just harming people. So step aside and you know, find somebody who can do the work, find somebody who can make the change. So if you do have a solution that works for people, uh, the first thing just tactically is you want to end with a call to action. So you want to end with a clear statement of what they do next to, to bring about the solution. And that's very often the very last thing you offer. So here's the problem. Here's the agitation Here's what the solution is going to look like and really describe it, really be concrete. And then here's the call to action. Here's what you do to get that, to get that relief for yourself. I really value ending that kind of content with empowerment and with a statement that I believe in the person who's taking the next step, that I know that they can change, that I've seen other people make the change, and that... Um, I know that the things that have been holding them back are not any kind of permanent, you know, curse that's innate to them. It's a collection of bad habits or bad advice that they followed in the past, and both of those can be fixed. So in other words, I end with empowerment. I end with a statement of belief that this person can make the change that they want to make, and they can follow the steps. And that the solution that I want to offer them has been constructed to to make the steps doable and to make the steps workable for them. And if it makes sense in your content, it's always good to end your content with some kind of statement of belonging. You know, a statement of of your your values as a business owner, a statement of who you are and what you stand for, and a statement about the kind of people who are right for this solution. Um, I find it's often very effective to point out that the solution is not for everybody. It's for a certain kind of person. You know, and if that kind of person is you, then um, let's, let's make this journey together. So that would be a statement of belonging and, um, and values. And it calls to Robert Cialdini's articulation of the unity principle that not only are you and I alike, but that you and I are of the same people, that you and I are one in an important sense. Um, it's very powerful. It really makes business more satisfying, ties in very much to what we talked about last week about finding that perfect customer. So those are my thoughts on the problem agitate solve formula. And, you know, pulling back from that a little bit, on the different roles that positive statements and negative statements play in the conversations that we have with our audiences. 
I believe that positivity and negativity are both important to human communication, and I think you can use both of them respectfully and um, in a way that is positive for your audience. So that's it for today. I am curious, uh, what problem do you solve with your project? So it could be your business, your consulting or service firm, your podcast, your blog. What problem are you solving for your audience? Um, And if you feel like that might need a little shaping, please feel free. Drop it in the comments at copyblogger.fm and uh, we'll, you know, we'll crowdsource it a little bit. We'll think about how that might get a little sharper for you. That's it for today. Thank you so much and I'll catch you next week.